Well, hello there and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is episode 223 and I am your host, Laura Camacho. If you're new, welcome. I'm excited to have you here. This is the kind of podcast you'll enjoy if you have diagnosed or undiagnosed attention deficit syndrome or you get bored easily. If you are the kind of person who loves learning so much that sometimes you forget to ask for more money because you just really get a kick out of learning stuff that you actually are screaming internally when people waste your time because you have a lot of things going on. That's the kind of podcast this is for. It's about communicating better, but it's really about getting the hacks, the tips, the inside information from a variety of super interesting people. And today's guest is no exception. In fact, she is one of the most interesting people I've ever met. I am so excited. She's uh, tuning in from um, Seattle area. So anybody at T-Mobile up there, this is a neighbor of yours we're gonna talk to today. And we have a new sponsor. New sponsor is called Speak Up 360. So this is a new tool that I have developed that you are going to love. You all know what a 360 is. Most of the 360s out there are very generic related to, does Bob know how to delegate? Does Mary give good feedback? Is uh, so-and-so empathetic? But this is a very precise, detailed 360 on executive communication skills. And by that, I mean executive presence, influence, meeting behaviors, presentations and it's extremely detailed so you don't even need me you don't need an education you just need to know exactly where you're strong and what are your opportunities and this tool will give you resources and things to do that I would tell you if I were coaching you if you're weak in a specific area. So I don't know if you listening to this actually need this tool, Speak Up 360, but I know you know people who do. So send them my way, Speak Up 360, just send the email to hello at speakupwithlaura.com. That's again, hello at speakupwithlaura.com. So without further ado, I'm going to bring you our guest today. So Jane, I was just reading your bio about how you were like a fourth generation Harvard attendee. Absolutely. uh, Lots of buildings after us. Yeah. Your mom being a supermodel, your dad being a CEO. Yeah. It was really the music that made it stand out. (laughs) (laughs) The Grammys. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No. So actually guys, Jane Bulware, who looks fantastic. She is talking to us from the Pacific Coast, and I know some of you live in that area, so she might be a neighbor. She's actually from Iowa, 
And for anybody who feels like everybody had a better head start than you, that they actually did go to Harvard or Stanford or MIT, or their parents were high-flying executives, I want you to know that that was actually not Jane's origin. She's going to tell you just a little bit because I have a lot to cover and we don't have that much time. She has a fascinating story and she did not grow up knowing what an internship was. Like that was just not part of her schooling, shall we say. So Jane, welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. I am thrilled that you're here before I hand over the mic, I want my audience to know that if your kid uses pull-ups or good nights, it is because Jane helped bring those to the market many moons ago. So Jane, welcome. Please tell us what you would, your version of your bio and what you would like people to know about you before I start interrogating you about all your <laughs> cool experiences. Well, you know, it's funny. I can relate to like people look at me and they're like, okay, so you're, you know, you've got it all figured out and you've had this great background. And I reminded people all the time that I worked with, I'm a pig farmer from Iowa. I like to keep things pig <laughs> farmer simple. So I was born and raised the fourth kid in a one bedroom house, four or five kid in a one-bedroom house in rural Iowa. I loved being from Iowa. I had a great life and didn't really appreciate it no until I left that we didn't have a lot. I mean, I knew we didn't have a lot, but uh, what we didn't have, we got from others. So my world was very small. We didn't watch the news. My folks didn't participate in things. And I had literally no expectations on me. I mean, it was stay on the good side of the church and the law in that order. So as long as I didn't make waves, my expectations were get married in the church, have children in that way. And I never, according to my mom, was good at listening. So I kind of bucked the norm in lots of ways and knew that that was not the career path that I wanted or, or, or wanted in life. And it was a gnarly old nun, actually, who pulled me aside after class one day. But she asked what I was doing after school and if I was going to college. And I, I knew I wanted out. I knew that I wanted something different. I didn't have a clue what that meant. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she suggested that I get a degree in forestry because she knew I liked the outdoors and I was good at science and chemistry and so on. And she helped me get a $320 scholarship that literally opened the door to a world I didn't know existed. I mean, I literally turned left out of the driveway, left again, went 60 miles and pulled into college that I had never been to before because it was too far away. I paid my way through college by selling my dad's used carpeting and my mom's prayers and having multiple jobs. And I had no expectations, but I interpreted that as I have no limitations. In our family, if you wanted something, you didn't have to ask for permission. You just, if you could do it, you could do it, but don't expect any help financially or otherwise. Right, right. And that was kind of the basis for how I finally left Carroll, left Iowa and pursued um, college and then a higher education and then a a degree at Kimberly Clark and ultimately Microsoft. Yes, it's so interesting. I found this study of forestry so intriguing. When you were applying at Kimberly Clark, did you have trouble convincing them that that degree was going to be useful or how did that work? I had trouble getting them to want to talk to me because I went to Purdue University. It was a top 10 MBA school in the nation, but they didn't interview for marketing. They interviewed for engineering it. Purdue. So I went and pretended I was an engineer, then took the recruiter out for coffee and said, by the way, I'm in marketing. I would love for you to open the doors for me. And he said, no. 
And I thought, yeah, you don't know it yet, but you're gonna you're gonna help me. You're a great guy, and you're gonna help me. And so it wasn't so much the degree because I got the MBA, but it was that they didn't recruit there. I didn't have the requisite experience. No forestry doesn't really apply, but at least it was a paper products company. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality was that they didn't have a position open. They didn't recruit at the college that I was going to. And they were already, the positions they did have for the colleges, they were full and they didn't need anybody. They ended up giving me a chance to have a phone conversation and they invited me to come, which was really interesting. I think I put in the book how we went to dinner one night with the product manager of Kotex and we took a leap of faith. It wasn't the job with the most money. It wasn't the job in the most exciting place, Nina, Wisconsin, but it had what I thought was the best people who asked the best job that I just connected with. And I genuinely wanted to work for the company. And I knew the rest would take care of itself. And it did. And, and I think that show, that comes through in a job interview. And for those of you listening, I please, please take note that she was not looking at a job description and making sure that she checked all the requirements. She was looking at a company that she wanted to work for in a location she wanted to be or that it sounded agreeable. And she had a brilliant career there. She really developed marketing expertise like nobody's business. For those of you listening outside of the United States, Kimberly Clark is a leading producer of disposable diapers, feminine products. They own Scott toilet paper. So yeah, her forestry degree did come in handy a little bit, but uh, I, I want you to see that, that she, she didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that. She just did it anyway. I mean, if I listened every time somebody told me what I can't, shouldn't, or wouldn't do, I'd still be in Carol, Iowa. I would still, <laughs> I'd be working at the Piggly Wiggly somewhere. And, and I, as my mom said, I was never good at listening. But at the same time, you're not going to get where you want to go if you follow the path before you, if you're different. And as a no. woman, I was different in that. And my background was different. And I didn't have the degree. I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have the doors opened. I didn't have somebody that was looking out for me. I had to go about things a little bit differently. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that's really hard because you think different is wrong because it's different, right? I mean, if it weren't wrong, why aren't there more people like that? But different isn't wrong. No, no, no. Lean into yeah. it. And I want to pull out, you know, being a communications person, that I think you're learning to sell those carpet squares. So, guys, she was in college and to make extra money, and her dad laid carpet. So she would take scraps and somehow make like little area rugs out of them and sell them. But I mean, just imagine yourself in college. Do you remember anybody selling? area rugs door to door. Like nobody does that. The idea was born out of desperation. I had no money. My dad laid <laughs> carpet. He used to bring home the scraps before he brought them to the dump every Saturday. And our feet were freezing in the dorm room floors. There were no carpets at the time. There was no Amazon. Oh, right. And right. so I literally thought if I could take those scraps and seam them together, my dad taught me how to seam them together mm -hmm, to form mm -hmm. rugs. And I rolled them up, stuck them on top of my car. Can you imagine going down the highway? It was 60 miles 
with a bunch of rolled up carpets coming no. out of the trunk and on top of the car. <laughs> no, Honest I, God. Yeah, I, like, I hope there are still some in the ditch. <laughs> right. But I think it takes a lot of confidence, even if it's born of desperation, to go door to door and say, hey, you know, the cold feet, I've got a solution. And I think that demonstrated a lot of taking initiative and so many people are always waiting for permission and that that's mm. not going to help no. you. I mean, you can get so far, but you can, you need to take initiative. Yeah. I, I am definitely one more to ask for forgiveness than permission. Mm -hmm. And yes. if it's not right and it's not right for a reason, I'll back off. But if it's not right, just because it hasn't been done or right. it makes someone uncomfortable, I'll adapt and change, but I'm not going to stop. All right. There's a lot of people listening that are working in tech. So they want to hear about Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And it was you moved there in 2004, right? I did. I read recently that Microsoft is making more money than Apple is right now. But anyway, what was Microsoft like in 2004? Just paint a picture because a lot of people listening were in college then. Like they don't remember. So tell us, what was the market of the tech companies like when you moved into tech? So this is 2004. So Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, not Satya Nadella, right? So very different. And the culture was one of eating your young. Okay. It was not lift up. It was tear down in terms of the culture at the exec level. And the, just the overall culture that I walked into was Microsoft had been the big dog. They were literally leading the world. They had owned the enterprise. They had created the market for enterprise software and to some degree, consumer software. And what was happening about 2004 is Apple was gaining traction again. And they were taking consumers to realize with the Macintosh and other things that, hey, products should be intuitive. They should just work. They should connect. You shouldn't have to have a, a higher degree to make this work. In other words, you shouldn't need forgive the expression, a nerd or a technical expert to explain to you how to use a personal computer because it just wasn't personal. Microsoft initially at that time was kind of ignoring it. And it was the process of them realizing that Apple was taking from then the consumer mind share. They were taking the consumer business. And so was Google gaining traction. And Microsoft just couldn't get traction there that they brought me in because I was a consumer marketer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I had a, honestly a great track record of building consumer brands. What I didn't appreciate, and I think they didn't really see, is that when you bring somebody in at a senior level from the outside, it doesn't matter at Microsoft how successful you were, you were an outsider. And it was immediate organ rejection. <laughs> it was absolute organ rejection. You know, you eat your young, I might have been dipped in chocolate because I was kind of entered into an environment where people at the very, very, you know, Steve Ballmer and Bill and others, they wanted to beat Apple but they didn't fundamentally want to change the culture and change or give directions to the people to change, to be more consumer focused, more user friendly, more consolidating the brands. Instead at that time, brands had their own fiefdoms and people weren't willing to give that up. And my job was to bring the fiefdoms together to get them to work together. And in that regard, I would say that I was unsuccessful. Yes. I, I mean, guys, her book is called, Worthy from cornfields to corner office and Microsoft. There's going to be a link in the show notes, of course. But Jane's book is just story after story after story after story. So, and I know some of you listening have been in this situation that you get recruited and then you're working in this new role and you're feeling in your gut like you're just 
made the worst mistake of your life. So what would you say to somebody who's, who's feeling like, wow, I've just screwed up royally. And what was I thinking when I took this role because of toxic culture, toxic boss, or I, many times I've talked to people who were hired by, you know, person A who promptly leaves. Yes. And there they are. So how do we deal with that? That's a great question. You have to kind of differentiate. Is it, are you uncomfortable because it's different? Are you uncomfortable because you have to adapt and to have to change within a reasonable window to do your job well? Because every culture is different. Every company is different. And there are always expectations you thought and the reality that is better or worse than, which is quite different than toxicity. A toxic boss you can move from. But if it's toxic culture, I always say when I take over a team and there are people on the team, I look for three things. I look for ability, attitude, and oh, for Pete's sake, I'm forgetting the last day. But the reality is that if you have a culture, if there is a culture of cancer in the organization, you either need to relocate, in my opinion, or you need to find a place or a person that you can find respite with. For me, I left the place that I was working at. I stayed in the company and I was able to find a team of position where I was given enough independence to create my own culture, a subculture, and enable to create uh, an approach that would allow me to, to not only survive, but to thrive. But one of the things that did not work for me, I tried to adapt by becoming like them. I tried to dress uh, like them. Uh, I tried to speak like them. I tried to use the lingo. I went from being telling stories and, and being customer focused to figuring out what will make them accept me. What will make this work inside of Microsoft, knowing full well at some times it wasn't going to work outside the walls of Microsoft. And in that regard, I felt as though I sold some of my soul. And if you're in a situation where that's required on an ongoing basis, that is not where you want to be. Life is short. And you can't be successful in that. And if you are, it will be at someone else's terms and you will be so unhappy. I use the expression yardstick for success. Everybody needs to define that, create their own yardstick for success. And the way you measure your success may differ from person to person. That is great. You have to know your yardstick for success and use it to measure what your life and what you're doing. Because if somebody else hands you theirs, it doesn't work. Right. It does not. It does not. So you need to be yourself. And that's where you add more value and you do what you're put here to do. So were you questioning yourself? I, I was. And it wasn't just me. I came in with a group of 10 other executives, right. corporate vice presidents. And we started getting together. Many of us started getting together monthly to have dinners to, to say, am I crazy or is this really happening? Like, and so we would laugh, but it was like one of those uncomfortable laughs, like, ha ah. <laughs> <laughs> And we kind of all binded together and shared experiences in the hope that we could turn things around in the hopes that we would thrive. And everyone left with the exception really of a couple. And I was unable to leave in the end because I had such a bad injury right. uh, that I was unable to leave. And that's when yeah. I said, I have to find a way and a place for me right. to create my own rules. And that's when you switched to and Surface. And I switched to the Windows business that ultimately became Surface. Yeah. Oh, okay. And is that where you took the haircut? Yes. So I was given the opportunity I was not performing. I would say I wasn't successful on the consumer products, bringing my consumer products expertise in a meaningful way to rally the goat rodeo, right? To rustle the goats. 
wasn't able to do that and had this accident. So my choice was become a corporate, stay a corporate vice president in an industry where I'm not technology savvy or take a lower position as a general manager or vice president in a role where I would have a lot of autonomy, where I could create the team and the culture, et cetera, that I had made me successful in the past, where I could wear my own clothes, if you will, instead mm-hmm. of others and be the kind of leader that I would be proud to be and where others would want to follow. And I did that and never looked back. Since you haven't gotten the chance to read the book yet, she did have a, I believe it was a skiing accident and she just broke her legs and ankle and yeah. it was just horrible. Was, and then put a rod in and the, the rod didn't work. And she was in pain, literal pain for well, I was bro- years. walking on a broken leg for a year. Yeah. But, but of course that also like affects, like if you're in pain and work is not good, then that is definitely hard, just a hard situation. And of course that ripples out to your family as well. I know from reading the book that Jane has two sons and she has this very cool husband who was a house husband for different parts of her career, took care of the boys, kept the house running, even though he also had his own career. Oh, there's there's one more thing about the clothes. The audience is about 60% women and 40% men. So for you women listening, Jane, in trying to fit in... Bought all these fancy clothes. I don't even yeah. think she picked out. She sent somebody to buy her some fancy clothes, you know, designer clothes. I'm guessing, and she didn't. I don't think you ever wore them, right? Or when you did, they you mocked me in my closet. I, they would sit there with the tape still on, and they would mock me because I, when I put them on, I didn't feel like myself. Microsoft was like, "You need a personal shopper. You need to basically up your game here." The personal shopper did a great job. But what she picked out for me didn't fit me or make me feel confident and strong and like myself. And so on the days that I would wear them, I would get compliments from people or, you know, because I looked cool and I, they knew the label and they would compliment the label, but I didn't feel like it fit me. And right. so when I ultimately got the different job and the different role, that's when I said, you know what, I'm not going to be mocked by my closet anymore. I'm going to fill it with the things that reflect me, who I am, what I am. And that's when I started to just reclaim myself. And And I just want to point out in the book, it's called Worthy, but the un is crossed off. And because the book is really as much about the un as it is about the worthy, how to undo the un. If you feel unable, unsure, unworthy, all those things, someone else can empower you. Someone else can enable you and encourage you. Give but you yourself need the courage, the ability the power to need to claim that before you can do that. And that's what the kind of the clothes in my closet represented is my ability to move that away and bring in what was true to me. And the other thing I want to say is um, if people are listening in technology, they probably have heard of Robbie Bach. He was kind of the founder of Xbox. Great mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. And I worked with him at the Boys and Girls Club and he read Worthy and he said, I will give you a testimonial. I love your book, but you cannot say it's only for women. I will only give you a testimonial if you say it's for men and women. Yes, so, Robbie, I agree. on behalf of you. Well, that's how I read it, but I'm a woman. But I also, <laughs> so I was like, girl, yes, yes, yes. you go. Well, so, and you know what? The Most of the books by women, that's why I wrote the book, are that. They're how-tos and you can do it. And, you know, uh, fearless, practical. fearless, yes. be 
fearless. Right. I am not fearless. I feel like a fraud when I act fearless, but I choose, I seek to fear less. See the difference? When I acted like I was fearless and I knew everything, I, I was a lie. I didn't oh, know everything. Tell I wasn't story. afraid. So everybody, be, let me just set this up. She really had no clue. She's not in technology. I mean, that's not her background. That's not her training. She's not a software engineer. And yet she went in and she built such rapport and trust. Trust is the, is the secret sauce. Tell us about that. So I was given the opportunity to manage the U.S. Windows business about the time that this was launching. And I literally agreed to take the role one week and I started the next week. And I went home over the weekend and I got Windows for Dummies and went to howitworks.com. I kid you not. <laughs> I did not know what an operating system did, what it was, how to manage it. And it was a billion dollar business that wasn't doing that well about to launch a product. And I said to myself, I am never going to learn this in a weekend. Who, what the heck? I can't, I'm not even smart enough to follow Windows for Dummies. So I went into the team and I said, Hey, you've had a lot of leaders. The business isn't doing great. You've taken a lot of arrows. Here's the thing. I don't know Windows, but I do know people and I know strategy and I know how to position you for success. And I have looked at what you've done and I think you've got some solid things, but I um, will carry you if you will carry me. Teach me what you know and I will learn. And in exchange, I'll understand what you're great at and what you hope to accomplish. And I will work my best to set you up for success and remove the barriers of your success because nobody Nobody will take an arrow that doesn't come through me first. And in the process of doing that, we rallied around. They did an amazing job both supporting me and I removed the barriers to their success. I got them the support and the accolades and the things that they needed because they delivered. That was nearly 20 years ago. And I will tell you, probably eight people from that team are coming to my house tomorrow night for oh. a little book launch party. We still get together. When you were telling them that in the moment, like how was everybody, was everybody like, what? Or, or how were they reacting? I wanted to point the back of their head because I think their eyes were rolling to the back of their heads like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> so initially it was, I think their response was, oh, geez, this is another person doing blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And honestly, at Microsoft, again, the culture was stay in the bunker, stay in the bunker. If you put your head above the bunker, you're going to get shot. So just hunker down and just don't put your head above the bunker. And I was one to put my head above the bunker. And in the process of doing that, I think more and more they learned to trust me. I became a leader that they felt confident in. And I did learn. And I honestly, even though I didn't know technology, I knew business. I knew right. how to create relationships with partners. I knew how to handle customers that were challenging. I knew how to come into a room and get people to work together, get to the root cause of the problem, get past the silos. I was also very level agnostic. And I think this is important, meaning I didn't care what your title was. I don't care if you were a partner, a blue badge, a vendor, a vice president, because every, if you were there, especially if you were on my team, you knew what you needed to do. You added value. Your seat at the table, did you, your being there meant you were worthy. Let's figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I do that today even. I, I'm the board here for Boys and Girls Club, and we have people from all walks of life with lots of zeros behind their 
bank account and very few zeros behind their bank account. And when you walk through the door, you leave all that at the door. And remember why you're there to serve. That is so, so important. And I'm taking away also that with a, a lot of people get their confidence, they're highly competent and they get their confidence because they know the product inside and out and upside down. And then they get promoted to where that's not the case. But, you know, listen to what Jane is saying. You do, you're obviously you're bringing value to the table already, or trust me, the company would never put you in that role. But think about, take inventory of what you do know and just come to the team with, authenticity with transparency and you have clearly extremely powerful communication skills because of all the things you just said that you're able to pull people together you're able to get them to work together and not just at a superficial level but to really deliver outstanding results so what communication advice do you give to the emerging leaders and the people who are aiming for that, you know, C-suite or the senior leadership that are listening. They, well, they're, they want again, to be... I'm a pig farmer from <laughs> Iowa. So I mean, geez, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> you get what you pay for, but everybody comes from a different place. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to lead with your title and you're going to lead with something that, that alienates people from you and creates a wall and creates a barrier, then you're not going to connect with people. You're going to command people. You're going to demand people, but you're not going to connect people. You're not going to get the most out of people because it's not a with scenario. And of course, listening is job one. And you have to be willing to listen. You have to ask the questions. It's okay. I, I always said, tell me something I don't know and tell me something about yourself. And whenever I left a conversation, I ended with one question, which was, what didn't I ask that I should know that you'd like to tell me, right? Because there's always something in the back of somebody's mind that's like, oh, she doesn't get it. Or gosh, if she only knew this, but I'm not going to say anything. But I want to know what didn't I ask that I should have? Because that's when you get the good stuff, right? Yes. And asking the question, tell me something new. What's new? What's new for you? What's new for the business? What's new? What's different? What do you see that I don't see? The other thing is whenever I present, I flip the bit and I ask, what do they need and want to hear from me that will help them solve whatever problem they're walking in the door with? They walked in the door for a reason. What experience do I have? What knowledge do I have that can connect with them? So that's right. So just take note, everybody. I mean, you're going to need to listen to this twice because there's so much wisdom here. Unfortunately, this just breaks my heart, Jane. We're out of time. So I just want you to tell me, tell us, what did I not ask you that you wanted me to ask that you want to share with these audience of super smart, caring, highly conscientious brainiacs? Well, one thing we didn't cover is all the proceeds from my book are being donated to the Boys and Girls Club. So even if you don't like the book, you're moving the peanut forward for someone else. So please buy the book. It is like making a contribution to Boys and Girls Club. Buy it for your team. Buy it for everybody that works for you. Yep. The other thing I would say is you're worthy. You're able. You have value that you can contribute to someone else, to be sure. So anyone that tells you what you can't, won't, or shouldn't do, and you want to do it, and you know it's right and good, and it's true for yourself, do it. Stand up. Show up show up and do it. Show up, stand up and lift up is my thing. And first you have to do it for yourself. 
And then only then will you be able to do it for others. And the world needs you to do that. Men, we must redefine the way that the world works, the way world works. So please do your best to stand up, show up and lift up yourself and others because your voice has to be heard. It has to change. Amen. That was awesome. But thank you so much, Jane. To the audience, you are welcome. I'm looking after you. I'm bringing you the best. Jane is amazing. You must buy multiple copies of her book, which I'm linking in the show notes. Now I get to tell everybody that I had a vice president of Microsoft on the podcast. And by the way, I would love for you to leave a review. I have been getting some reviews. Thank you very much. I'm just going to read the latest one. It says, must listen. And this is from ALW81USA. I keep a small list of must-listen podcasts, and this is one of them. As someone who has worked in corporate America for 20 years, I can still find something new to learn. A delightful listen. So thank you so much. That's very kind. My goal is to get to 100 podcast reviews. I'm at 33 as of this recording. So thank you so much for leaving a five-star review. Have a great day and I will catch you on the next episode. Bye-bye.